Amen. My name is Ryan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Ridgecrest, and we're so thankful that you've joined us this morning uh, for worship. We're going to continue in a series uh, of, of walking very slowly through John chapter 15, a, a series that we've called Abide, of, of looking at what it looks like for us to remain in Christ, or, or maybe to abide in Christ. That's the word we see over and over again throughout the text. And so this weekend we had something fun and awesome. It was called Man Camp. And Friday night at about 10 o'clock, everybody, things were winding down. And everybody was heading across the street to go get in a tent. And they said, hey, Ryan, are you going to stay here? And I said, no, I'm going home. I'm going to drive 22 minutes. That's how long it took me to get home. And I'm going to go crawl in my comfortable bed. And they said, well, if you don't remain here, you're not a real man. Maybe that's the idea that they kept saying. (laughs) And I said, if I remain here, I don't feel like I'm a wise man because there's a perfectly good bed at home. So, so, so there was maybe the argument all weekend long of uh, should I remain here or should I remain sleeping consistently in my most comfortable bed at home? So, so this morning we're going to jump in to John chapter 15 and we're going to be in verses 6 through 11. So let's go ahead. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get that out. Turn to, to John. That's in the New Testament. Uh, and we're going to read verses 6 through 11. It says this, starting in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Those are two fun verses that we're going to talk about this morning. And then starting in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. And Father, as we dive in these verses this morning, as we take a look at, at things they may speak about, uh, Father, as you tell us in this text to, to abide in your love. And the Father, as, as we just song, uh, sang a song about building our life upon your love. Uh, Father, would we look at these things this morning as, as we discover and take a journey through this text? about how we can abide in your love, of how we can remain in your love, of how we can build our life upon that love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage today, there's a few different ideas, a few different maybe sections that we're going to look at. But I'm going to give you maybe the synopsis, the overall idea I want you to get it very clearly. I'm going to put it in pretty black and white for you. There's one idea we want you to get. It's that we would remain in Christ. It's pretty simple, right? Like, I'm not going to throw you any trick questions. So from verse 6 to verse 7, the idea is the same. 
if we claim to be followers of Christ, if we have claimed that we have put our hope and trust in Jesus, we must remain in Christ. This is something that there, there's some things in life that I like to, to categorize as maybe this is a negotiable thing, but this is a non-negotiable for, for me. Like sleeping by my bed, it's a non-negotiable. Uh, and so remaining in Christ as a follower of Christ, remaining in him, abiding in that love, remaining in him is a non-negotiable. This is something that we can't discuss. This isn't something that we can't like argue about. This is something that is very black and white, very straightforward for us. So we jump into verse 6, and verse 6 presents an idea that maybe is a little harsh. Maybe we seem, maybe we get an idea that maybe it feels a little negative. But what we would see is it's the absolute truth. And so one of the ways I love to operate is I love the black and white. You give me the gray, I don't really care about the gray. Like, I want the black and white. So, so if I have a conversa- conversation, if I'm going to listen to a podcast, or if I'm going to listen to a sermon uh, that a pastor friend preached, I like it to be very black and white, very plain. I, maybe that sounds like I like things, and maybe that are things that are a little bit more harsh. Like, just give me the facts and tell me what I need to do, and we'll move on. And, and so... Sometimes that's the way I live my life, and sometimes it gets me in trouble too. Uh, so, but what we would see here is this, is we are nothing without Christ. We, we are, in a way, to maybe put it in a harsh way for you, is this, is we are worthless apart from Christ. And so to, so to put it in a way is a little harsh. Maybe that grabs your attention, but we are worthless. We are nothing without him. And so when we read verse 6, There's a couple ideas that we can jump to. Maybe there's some speculation that we can jump to in interpreting the verse. There's many ideas, but I'm going to look at three with you today. And the first one, as I say it, you're going to say, we're Baptist, so that's what it it does not mean. And I'm going to say, yes, you're correct. But this is an idea that many people grab when they read this verse. So the speculation number one, some might jump into the idea after reading this verse is that you can lose your salvation. And what we would see is that's a contradiction to John chapter 10, verse 28, which says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. We can't lose our salvation. We did nothing to gain our salvation. It means we have no way that we've bought our salvation, that means there's no way that we can lose our salvation. So once we're saved, we're always saved. That's the Baptist phrase. Number two is this, is some would like to jump to the idea that this is is, is maybe talking about discipline or eternal judgment since since it mentions the fire. But the idea that if you were thrown into the fire and that is judgment, we're going to take that very literal, then we have to take the branch being broken off of the vine, very literal. And therefore, we would have to say both of these things are true. And I don't necessarily believe that, and I don't think that's what it's speaking of. So number three is the idea that I like to jump to, and the idea that I think describes this best. And so maybe the third, this argues that there's branches of people who have some idea of who Jesus is. Maybe they've attended church regularly. 
Maybe they, they've gone to Sunday school. Maybe they're a part of a life group. Maybe they serve. Maybe they do all of these different things. But they, maybe they don't know who Christ actually is. Maybe they've never actually entered into a relationship with him. Maybe they've been involved. Maybe they've checked boxes. Maybe they've known of who Christ is, but they never made him the Lord of their life. Maybe they live close to this community of faith. They enjoy the activities. Maybe they enjoy bringing their kids to Awanas. They enjoy bringing their students to student ministry. Maybe they enjoy men's ministry. Maybe they enjoy women's ministry. But they've never taken that step of putting their faith and hope and trust in Jesus. They've not embraced that truth for themselves. And so I think maybe that's the idea that we get from the text. Is studying this week, that's the idea that stands out over and over and over again. Is that maybe there's some people, maybe here in this room, maybe it's the person you're sitting next to, maybe it's you. That you say, hey, like maybe this is me. Like I've done all these things, but I've never put my faith and hope and trust in Jesus. Maybe I've never taken that first step in my relationship with him. And maybe you need to do that today. Someone on staff would love to talk with you. You see someone after, there's someone wearing a white name badge that's a rectangular shape. Man, grab them. They would love to talk with you. And so maybe we can spend time speculating the many ideas. We maybe try to come up and make this verse fit. Because there's more. Those were just three. But I think if we're not careful... We can miss the image that Jesus is putting forth for us to see. If we're not careful, we can run into a problem and try to make this picture of Jesus' vine answer questions it's not intended to answer. And so I think this, the, the principle behind the verse is very simple. The picture behind this verse is very simple. Jesus, the vine, they are the source of life. To fail to have Jesus, to fail to be a part of the vine, is to fail to have life. A verse I told you two weeks ago, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, so we must be with Jesus. We must be attached to that vine. That's the only way that we have a relationship with Christ. And so to refuse to remain in Jesus is to re- refuse to, uh, to accept the gift that he offers. He provides a picture uh, of this talk about how he is essential, how he is the source of life. He's not necessarily discussing the history of, an, of a branch or individual branch. And, and he's not jumping to these conclusions and ideas that are probably not supported. But what he is saying is that I am the source of life. I am the branch that provides, or I'm the vine that provides life to the branch. So maybe kids, students, maybe adults in the room, here's what we could see. It's not our parents' faith that saves us. It's not our grandparents' faith that saves us. It's not coming to church that saves us. It's having a relationship with Christ. We have to make it our own. We have to have our own faith. We have to own it ourselves. We need the true vine, which is Jesus. So failure to produce these fruits brings a severe warning concerning our unfruitfulness. So this is a picture, this is a, a vivid portrait 
of the significance of us bearing fruit in our, our life, of us being fruitful. And so what we would see is another picture of this. Ezekiel chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 takes a look at maybe the same idea, but not necessarily talking about followers of Christ, but it takes this idea of, the, of Israel and it gives us some, some ideas. So if you want to go later, you want to say, hey, I want to do some extra study, turn to the Old Testament, grab Ezekiel chapter 15, read verses 1 through 8. It may help you understand a little bit of this idea. And so what we see is unlike olive wood, the cuttings of the vines are good for nothing except burning. That was the judgment we see Ezekiel gives, or what he gives in uh, Ezekiel chapter 15. And so the judgment of the fruitless disciple is the core of this metaphorical picture that John is presenting. And then as we would, might move to verse 7, we see now that Jesus reverts to the second person for the second time. He did it earlier in verse 4. And he says this, if you remain in me. So with this change, we can see that Jesus has not left the idea of the vine being left behind. He's communicating in the same way. And so what I think as we, like I said a couple weeks ago, maybe this feels repetitive. But what we would see is, is maybe this needs to be lodged and wedged into our lives multiple times over the next week. Maybe, time, maybe we need to hear this over and over again, and maybe by the end of it, we're actually remaining in him. And so I think it's important for us to have these things to be lodged into our hearts and lodged into our minds. And so our, our, us conforming to Christ, us being obedient to Christ— or to remain in Christ should be the natural thing as a follower of Christ. It should be the most important thing as a follower of Christ. All of this is equivalent to remaining in the vine. So, so to maybe to cast this in ideals of prayer as verse 7 speaks. Such a, a, a truly obedient believer proves effective in prayer... Since what we would see from this, as see from verse 7 is this. It is our prayer life, what we are asking for would confirm, conform to the will of God. There's a direct correlation or connection between how one prays and, and the, uh, the commitments of our life. Jesus demands the, that the, maybe the, the fundamental commitments of a disciple's life is abiding in him. That means the model of Jesus in life and word must really change our life, must really take over our life. And so when this happens, pray, praying ceases to be selfish, asking becomes aligned with the will and purposes of God. Verse 7 compares remaining in Jesus and remaining in his word. And, and so what we see is this. Those who live in harmony with Jesus find their prayers controlled by his word and such prayers will be answered according to his word. If we're praying what the word says, we know what God's going to do. And so I'll give you maybe this little idea of what this verse isn't saying. One of my favorite times of the year is Christmas. I love me some Christmas. 
and it's October, which means it's the month to decorate for Christmas. All right, like just go ahead and skip Halloween. Go ahead and skip Thanksgiving. And you say, well, Ryan, are you not thankful? I'm very thankful that the Lord sent his son Jesus and so that we could have Christmas, okay? And that's what I'll be thankful for on that one day. I think it's one of the happiest times of the year. As we look at Christmas, you could probably come to our house on November 1st. Christmas tree will probably be up. Decorations will be up. Last year, I was looking through my phone, and I realized I put up my Christmas lights on October 14th, which happens to be Friday, this coming Friday. So if you drive by and you see me outside with the ladder, just know what I'm doing. But I think it's one of the happiest times of the year. It's one of my favorite things to celebrate. But growing up, one of the things I enjoyed about Christmas, one of my favorite things about Christmas growing up as a kid, and maybe it is yours too, and maybe if you're a kid, you're going to agree with me. It was making my Christmas list. You never know what I might ask for. Really, you never know what new hobby I might be into. Like it might be a guitar it might be uh, shotguns. It might be golf. You just never know what new hobby I might be into. It might be a saw. Like, I don't know why I need saws, but I have too many of them to begin with. But you never know what I might ask for. And so I would love to get down to, to maybe to, um, to make a list or maybe to get into a catalog and circle the things that I wanted and then toss it to my parents. And I think Amazon agrees with me. I got a Christmas catalog in the mail this week of like things. I was like, oh, I'll start circling things I want here. You never know what I'm going to ask for. This year, if you're going to buy me a gift and maybe it's golf stuff, maybe it's hunting stuff. I'm just saying. Um, Sometimes that's how we treat the Lord. We began to make this selfish list of all of our wants and desires and things that really don't apply to the kingdom. And sometimes that's how we treat the Lord, as if maybe we think he would be Santa Claus. Or maybe we would think that he would be a magician. Or maybe that he would be a genie. And that's what this verse is not pointing to. Let us be reminded when we read this verse, this isn't just a whatever I ask I'm going to get type of thing. This verse, verse 7, is pointing to us, remaining in him, abiding in him, And so therefore, as we've spent time in his word, we've spent time being close to him. Our prayers and the things that we want are his things. Our selfish desires have gone to the side. Our our selfish desires have in a way disappeared. And therefore, what we're asking for are the things of the Lord. Maybe the things that we see in the text. And so this isn't just a a long list of maybe I want that new car, so I'm going to pray for it type of thing. This is us abiding in him. And therefore, since we're following after him and his will, our prayers are in accordance accordance to that. And then jumping to verse 8, this idea hinges on the the prayers that we're making and the the things that we see from verse 7. What we would see is such a fruitful prayer life that we see the idea and the picture of in verse 7. What we would see in verse 8 is that this paints a picture of when we are obedient in those things. 
we are glorifying the Father. When we're praying this way, we're glorifying the Father. Through us remaining in Christ, it glorifies both Christ and the Father. The reason that we are created as people, as humans, is to glorify God. Therefore, when we abide in Christ, when we rid ourselves of our selfish desires, we glorify him. When we are seeking his face and we are praying as verse 7 tells us to pray, we are glorifying the Father. And that's what we're created to do. And maybe, so we see this idea of Christians must remember that the fruit that issues out of their obedient faith and their obedient union with Christ lies at the heart of how Jesus brings glory to the Father. And so those that are contemplating the claims of the gospel maybe today, maybe like John's readers, we've got to get the idea and the fact that failure to honor the Son is failure to honor God. If we're not going to honor Jesus, we're not honoring God. And therefore, we're missing the purpose and the idea, the thing that we were created for. If we're not honoring Jesus, if we're not honoring God, we're not doing what we were created for. At this point, the twofold purpose or result of fruit bearing Maybe the first place is this. The, the verse begins literally by saying this. My, by this, my Father is glorified. Through us praying according to verse 7, God is glorified. And, and so it, the Father is glorified through the disciples. What we would see, however, is, is this must not be understood as implying that the, the, that the disciples, that uh, glorify the Father directly as a result of their actions. But it's because they're abiding in Jesus. And, and so we are, as we glorify the Father, it's because of what Christ has done for us and, and what Christ is doing in us. The primary task of the disciple is to glorify Jesus who glorifies the Father. The bearing of fruit not only indicates that the followers are true disciples of Jesus, but God is glorified in their discipleship. What we'd see in verses 9 and 10, he, he's over and over and over again said, remain in me, abide in me. And for us to remain and abide in Jesus. Verse 9 and 10 jump to a very similar thing, and he tells us to abide in my love. So for us to abide in Jesus' love or for us to remain in Jesus' love. Loving and obeying the Son means being loved by the Father. And being loved by the Son also implies loving one another. God not only loves the disciples, but what we would see from John 3.16, right? That God loves the world and gave his Son for these people. But many in the world love darkness and do not do the will of the Father because they don't know the Father. Those that are in Christ can show the love of Christ, while those of the world will not understand what we're called to do as followers of Christ, and therefore will not and cannot remain in his love. Bearing fruit, therefore, means loving others as God loves them and giving witness to the world. So what we would see, remaining in the, in the vine, the idea that we get from verse 4, 
has been, a tied, has been tied to our obedience of God's word in verse 7. Now the same point is made in a different way. God's love for us is gracious, it's undeserved. And so our continued enjoyment of that love should be shown to him in the way that we live our lives. If we are a recipient of Jesus' love and the passage points to Jesus being in the Father's love, we must remain in Jesus' love by the exact same way that Jesus remains in the Father's love. And that idea of, of how Jesus is remaining in the Father's love and how we should remain in Christ's love is simply obedience. Something that maybe all of us in the room would have mastered, right? No, nope, none of us. But we've got to obey Jesus. We are, that's how we show him our love. And so John chapter, tw- or John, uh, chapter 8 verse 29 says this, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus' desire was to be obedient to the Father. Our desire should be the same, that we would obedient, be obedient to the Son, be obedient to Jesus. That's what pleases him. If obedience is the condition of continually remaining in the love of Jesus, our obedience is the demonstration of what we really love. If we're going to continue to obey, if we're going to continue to be in God's love, we have to be obedient on what the Bible has told us to do. These do not impose um, on the believer maybe a perfect be- obedience. Matthew 5.48 would tell us to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And we know that we will never be perfect. We know we're all going to mess up even as followers of Christ. And so we are to strive for that. But we know we're going to mess up. We know that we're never going to live up to Jesus' standard. Now, is that an excuse for us to not live up to Jesus' standard? Not at all. But we know we're going to mess up. So what we would see is these, these two verses point to us being obedient. We know we're going to mess up. And so therefore, if we're not perfect, we don't fall out of Christ's love. We still remain in it because he is gracious and it's undeserved. These, these two things are uh, or us being obedient. They set the ultimate standard. The standard that we will never be able to fulfill, but it's the standard of Jesus and what he has done. The last verse that we see, the last verse that we're going to look at is verse 11. Jesus begins to wrap up and make maybe some of these ideals join together. So part of us remaining in him, part of us abiding in Christ, is to provide a sense of delight to those who are authentic disciples of Jesus. Even though they may face pain, even though they may face persecution, so what we see in John 14, 27 is Jesus promises my peace or his peace. In John 15, 10, we see that he tells followers of Christ to remain in his love. What we see now in verse 11 is now that he promises them his joy. 
Jesus insists that obedience to the Father is, is its grounds of his joy. He promises that those that are obedient to him will share the same joy. The disciple maybe steps into a relationship of love with both Jesus and the Father. And out of that, a transformed life, a fruit-bearing life will flow. That we see the example of Jesus' joy. And so maybe the peace that we see in John 14, 27 is now matched to this joy that we would see in John 15, 11. And what we must remember is this, is that joy is not our, not our human happiness. Jesus desires that his joy may be in us. Likewise, maybe we get the idea that it is a gift of the Spirit, that we cannot be joyful apart from him. Maybe it's a gift of Jesus dwelling with inside of us, and that makes this joy very different than human happiness, but it would make his joy supernatural and very substantial. Jesus' joy comes through us being reliant on God and obedient to the Father. We, not, we, not just, we don't just simply inherit this, but we inherit not only his joy, but the capacity given through the Spirit to enjoy God in the same manner. Just like the fruit of the Spirit is not something we can produce on our own, we cannot produce this joy on our own. It's simply produced from us remaining in Christ, from us abiding in him. So maybe you say, Ryan, these are all great things. What can I leave here today? Maybe what are some things, how can we apply this to our lives? I'm glad you asked the question. This means that maybe, and I don't want you to take this wrong, but this means that Christianity is not simply about believing the right things, though it is very important. Nor is it simply a matter of living a Christ-like life, though that is very important too. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, is having the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in us, and for us to have a personal relationship with Him. That's step one. We can't skip step one to get to maybe step two and three. Those first two things are very important, but we cannot do those if we don't have this last thing. We have to have the Father, the Son, the Spirit living inside of us for us to have a personal relationship with Him. And then we'll begin living a Christ-like life as we follow after them. Maybe begin, then we'll be, begin believing the right things as the Word teaches us. Here's what we would see in John chapter 14, verses 23 through 26. Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still here with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance of all that I have said to you. Maybe it can be simply put like this. If we love him, we'll obey him. If we love him, we'll remain in him. If we love him, we will give up our selfish desires to follow after him. So maybe that's simply the question. Or maybe you say, I'm not obeying him. Do I love him? 
I'm not doing these things. Maybe the question is, do I love him? The question, maybe some more questions. I love to ask questions because they help me reflect. The questions maybe you need to ask yourself today is this, is do I have a relationship with Christ? Am I remaining in him? Am I keeping his word? Man, if you have questions about these questions, someone on staff, an elder, um, or someone with a white name badge would love to talk with you and answer these questions and help you answer those questions for yourself. Let's pray. And Father, we are thankful to be here. And Father, as we've heard from your word, and as we've read verses over and over and over again today, the idea that we began to see is that we need to be obedient to you, that we need to remain in your love, that we need to, to, to abide in you, to abide in your word, that we would need to give up our selfish desires to glorify you so that we would align with your will and to glorify you and glorify the Father. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So during this time, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and sing or stand, and we're gonna sing a song together. But during, during this song, we ask you, after this song, we're gonna go into the time, a time of the Lord's Supper. And so during this song, we want you to move forward. There's four tables up front. Uh, there's elements up in the balcony for you that, that are up there. So during this, during this time, move forward to the front and grab your elements and reflect maybe of what you've heard today.